Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. Glad that you could join us as always. I'm excited to talk about the topic we've got today. We're going to be talking about the future of solar energy. You know, we're hearing so much right now about other forms of energy, natural gas being one and how cheap it is and how with the shale fracking situation that we've got going on, we're actually exporting natural gas. We've got so much of it. And the question is, can solar energy compete with that? Can we still increase our portfolio of solar energy while we've got this new glut of cheap natural gas and other forms of fossil fuel energy. Today, our guest is Gary Gerber. He's the founder and CEO of Sunlight and Power. He also serves as president of the board for the California Solar Energy Industry Association, also known as CalSIA. And he is um, he's quite a veteran of the solar industry, and I'm really excited to dig into some of these issues, ask him to look into his crystal ball a little bit, and help us understand from an industry insider's point of view what the future of solar energy may be. So welcome to Go Green Radio, Gary. Glad to have you on. Thanks very much. Great to be here. Well, you know, you've been in the solar energy business for a long, long time. Talk about what initially attracted you to the industry and how it's changed since you first entered it. Well, I'd have to start by saying there was no industry when I got started. <laughs> um, it was a pretty pretty uh, blank canvas at the time. This was 1975-76. I'd just gotten out of college at UC Berkeley as a mechanical engineer. And um, just I had gotten captivated by the idea of free energy from the sun uh, during some classes I took and in my studies at Cal. I took the first solar class ever offered at UC. And... Um, Wow, that's cool. I was eventually the um, <laughs> teaching assistant for the class, and then I started my company right out of college. So um, it's been my life. It's been my professional life uh, ever since then. I'm 36 years doing this. And and was it really that idea of free energy from the sun that was so attractive to you, or were there other aspects of the concept of solar energy that that captivated you. Yeah, I think it's kind of in my DNA. I I hate waste. I like efficiency. I like things that make sense. Uh, I don't think extractive, uh, unsustainable energy makes any sense. It's just when you start looking at what we're doing as a uh, species, uh, (laughs) and especially a particular class I took uh, talked about the long-term energy uh, picture, and that was probably pretty pivotal, pivotal for me because Everything besides solar and wind and a few other of the renewables had a had an end date, right? And that end date means pretty much disaster if you are relying on that energy source. And, and whether that end date was 30 years out or 300 years out, it's still geologically and, and as a species, that's a that's near term. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's just a dead end that I'd, I'd rather not head down personally. It's not where I want to spend my time. Right. And, uh, and that's, that that's makes really perfect sense to a lot of us. And yet um, we see very little movement in that direction when it comes to, you know, the commercial application of, of, of energy uh, as an industry. You know, 
we're seeing a lot of well-established companies these days go out of business. I mean, the recession has been tough. I'm still mourning the loss of Hostess Twinkies myself. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm all torn up about that. But what is the secret of your success? Sunlight and Power's been in business since 1976. And let's face it, solar energy has not always been the most lucrative, uh, business to be in. How have you, um, continued to thrive in this industry? Well, it hasn't always been thriving. Uh, it's, been, it's been pretty bare-bone survival for, for a fair number of those years. Um, I always uh, credit my wife, who, who's the one that had the real job when I was struggling <laughs> to keep my business afloat over the years. Um, so, so that has helped. We, our, my secret for success, I would guess, I would have to say, is just that I'm totally dedicated to what I do, and, and I can't conceive of not doing what I'm doing. So I just figure out ways to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, also, because we haven't ever uh, been lured to take outside money or bring in outside folks to, to sort of pump up our, our cash, uh, I've remained in control of the business. And mm-hmm. so I've kept the business on mission. And I think you can really get off mission if you take in uh, money with strings attached. So mm-hmm. we've actually never done that. And so we're we're organically grown, so to speak. Um, and the, finally, the probably the most important thing is um, I hire the right people, and mm. I hire we hire based on uh, attitude as much as aptitude. We're looking for people who have the same vision, and we we really are a mission-driven company. We're a benefit corp, which means that. Um, we're a triple bottom line company that believes in people, planets, and prosperity, all three. And mm-hmm. it's not just about the profits. And that's built right into our bylaws, and it's how we operate. That's so, fantastic. So we get people who are really in alignment with what we want to do with our goals. If we have to make some sacrifices, everybody understands that. We do it. And when things are going well, I share the wealth. We're, we had a good year this year, and we're gonna, I'm going to do a, a major profit sharing with the company. Oh, that's fantastic. Sounds like a great place to work. You know, speaking of outside funding coming in, you know, the Solyndra case has given the solar industry a little bit of a black eye when it comes to investing public dollars in the industry. Um, there are a lot of people who cringe just at the, the word Solyndra. Now, you founded a company that's been in business since 1976. If the government were going to invest public dollars in solar companies, why would they not choose a tried-and-true company such as yours? And maybe you don't want it, but maybe there are others, maybe uh, companies that have been around for a long time. Why wouldn't they choose companies like that rather than startups like Solyndra? Well, I, I think actually Solyndra has been completely misunderstood and has been turned into a, a political football. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of many relatively high-risk uh, propositions out there um, there are other high-risk propositions that have been funded, like the Internet, things like that, that actually worked out pretty well uh, by the government, and then there, there's others that fail. Um, there are plenty of failures. There's plenty of failed gas wells out there that the government has subsidized, and nobody talks about those. Mm. So th- this is a, a small, really relatively small number. It's a small percentage of the total amount of money that the government puts into um, and it, it, it puts these loan guarantees in place specifically because it's a developing higher risk situation and they're trying to, you know, you can't, you can't, nobody can have a crystal ball and make sure that every single thing that one invests in uh, succeeds. Mm-hmm. And so this is just one that didn't work. I think it was, you know, that being said, I think it was a very unfortunate choice because I wish they'd come to me and asked me what I thought because I would have told them to stay away from that company um, just because of technical reasons, because I didn't think it was a viable technology. Mm-hmm. Well, um, but doesn't that been. seem like the most rudimentary question to ask? And you are in a position of leadership here in California, the state from which the Department of Energy chair comes from. You would think there would be a group of advisors just like yourself who could help steer away from lousy technology. <laughs> it seems like the most basic thing in the world. <laughs> well, you know, the, the thing that the thing that really sunk Solyndra was that they were they were literally they were very haughty people. <laughs> they were not yeah. good business people. It was 
it was that kind of thing that really sunk them. It, it, I mean, it was technology that was far too expensive. They got caught right as China was coming up with their um, huge subsidies to reduce costs for conventional modules. Uh, so the timing was terrible for them. Um, nobody could have known. I certainly didn't predict at the time that module prices would be dropping below a dollar a watt on the wholesale basis. Um, you know, I, I wasn't expecting that to happen for a couple more years. It mm-hmm. happened last year. Yeah. So and quickly, very quickly, very yes, yeah. and and very unpredictable. And so, when you're putting together a big production facility like Solyndra, you, you've got to be many years ahead. Mm-hmm. And so, it was even harder to predict what was going to happen uh, five years ago when they conceived this. The other thing that people don't understand is that. Private investors lost far more money than the, than the government. That money. Well, everybody's kind of comfortable with that because private <laughs> money, you know, they make their own choices. When when government is using public dollars, that's our money, and we don't get a say in how it gets used. And that's, I think, the aggravation that a lot of people have. Private investors, smart people, do your own thing, take your own risk. But when you're risking taxpayer dollars and public dollars. Uh, we prefer safer bets. Or if it's risky technology that we're funding, maybe give that to uh, a land-grant university like UC Berkeley or University of Illinois, my alma mater, Hmm. and put it into the universities for research and development, not into private companies. So that's just one thought I have. We've got to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about a study that was up on Calcia's uh, Facebook page that talked about how uh, the solar industry is creating some really good job opportunities. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Don't go away, folks. Much, much more on the future of solar energy right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you're just joining us, just tuning in, our guest today is Gary Gerber, and he's the founder, president, and CEO of a company called Sun, Light, and Power, a solar company that's been around since 1976 in an area of the country where everybody says, oh, you can't run a business here, and that's California. Guess what? Gary is, and he's doing a great job. He's also the president of Calcia, which is the um, California, let me look at my notes here, California Solar Energy Industry Association. And they put out a report, uh, they posted it on their Facebook page just recently, that was pretty exciting. It says that the solar industry is adding jobs at a higher rate 
than a lot of other industries, many other industries. And that's one of the best indicators I can think of for whether or not an industry is viable and whether or not it's something to invest in. I think it's very exciting. Gary, I'd like for you to talk about these jobs that the solar industry is adding. And I have a few questions. Are they are they typically union jobs or not? Are they safe? And most importantly to most Americans, are these jobs that a person can raise a family on? Are they good-paying jobs? Talk about what's going on there. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. The... Um by the way, let me just correct. I'm past president of Calcia. Uh, was president for four years, and I stepped down, but I'm still on the board, just to, gotcha. to, be, to be accurate. Um, as far as the jobs are concerned, um, I think they're they're very good jobs. Green jobs are, are very fulfilling jobs. We find, as I mentioned earlier, that that people really love coming to work and doing what they do. Uh, that being said, uh, first of all, Sunlight and Power has a policy. Or, and not all solar companies do, but we have a policy to only pay uh, living wage, and our minimum living wage is $15 an hour. Mm-hmm. So no one works for less than that in our company. And so um, that being said, it's, you know, it is California, it's Bay Area, it, it's expensive to live here. So whether that's enough for a single person to, um, to, to live, yes, it is, but it's not, it, it's not enough to thrive on probably. Uh, in our area, certainly mm-hmm. in other areas of the country, that's a lot of money uh, mm-hmm. for that purpose. But um, in terms of the safety and the types of jobs, um, we have a – and, again, our, I think our industry – I can talk about my company, but the industry in general has a, a, a very good safety record. Uh, we are on roofs a lot, so one would, cons- one would expect us to have injury rates similar to roofers. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're far lower than that mm. would be. Um, and uh, we're really working on it at Calcia. We have a safety committee. We're trying to promote uh, job site safety uh, actively. Uh, so, so I consider them safe jobs. A lot of jobs are not on the roof, of course. We have sales jobs. We have office administration jobs. We have rebate and um, interconnection people. We have engineering people. We have project managers. So about probably actually in our case, two-thirds of our employees are not on the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, so, these are these are office jobs. They're uh, they're very they're very good jobs. And so, I, I think that in, in the industry again as a whole, you'll find some of the jobs are also in manufacturing uh, as well. And in in for example, the companies that that operate up California, uh, like SunPower, has mm-hmm. a lot of employees here, uh, and they're working on building and supplying uh, solar modules. So we don't make solar modules we design and install systems so we're a system integrator gotcha you know one of my greatest concerns and i talk about this all the time um is that we have a lack of domestic supply for some of the raw ingredients that it takes to make solar and other clean green energy components like wind and batteries for electric vehicles we lack a domestic supply of rare earth minerals we have to import a lot of those and that that concerns me because in as much as you know the supply chain can be wide open one day if we're relying upon uh, an international source for those raw materials they could dry up also whether that's because of actual supply or other geopolitical forces that really makes me uncomfortable. And I'm wondering if you see that as a vulnerability for North American solar companies or if you feel like, hey, that's really a non-issue, we're, we're going to be able to continue acquiring the rare earth minerals we need from other countries. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I've done a little research on that. And, and first of all, I would, I would liken that, by the way, to um, my nervousness about us uh, relying on foreign oil, which mm-hmm. is a far bigger problem than our reliance yep. on rare earths uh, from outside the country. Um, rare earths are actually available in the U.S. They're just uh, they're just too expensive to extract, uh, but they're they're well distributed in the Earth's crust. And as it turns out, uh, a lot of the um, the different rare earths that are being referred to, and the, there was a study recently about that. Um, they affect mostly wind power uh, in mm-hmm. the magnets. Um, lithium-ion batteries and other types of batteries are affected more by the rare earths. Um, as it turns out, fluorescent, uh, compact fluorescent bulbs. So important technologies in renewable energy and in energy efficiency, but, but in fact, uh, the only relatively rare earths that are used in some solar modules are, are indium and gallium, and those are actually more abundant than silver 
in the Earth's crust. So it's and and they are available from uh, from ores that are already being mined, like bauxite. Gallium mm-hmm. comes out of bauxite, which is aluminum, which is mm-hmm. which is of course mined in huge amounts. And um, um, uh, indium uh, comes uh, comes out with other with other ores as well. So it's just a matter of focusing on extracting those minerals. Those are only actually used in thin film technologies. Most of the solar st- uh, modules that are being installed right now really don't use those. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I'm seeing all sorts of new. Um, ideas coming out of the research facilities where they're trying all sorts of different materials that are more common, like uh, substituting iron for other metals, things like that. So mm-hmm. it's wide open. I, I'm not really worried that we're going to run out of the rarest because I think, frankly, there are many ways to make solar modules, and uh, we'll figure out a, a substitute if we need to, or we will just consider it important enough to spend a little bit more for that material and and go ahead and get it out of the existing uh, ores that we have. Mm-hmm. Well, and there you said a mouthful. I mean, it's not like North America doesn't have rare earth minerals. We just aren't mining it to the same extent that they are in other countries. So we have it. We're just not pulling it out of the earth. We used to have a rare earth mineral mine somewhere in California. I'm trying to remember. But I know that it was closed for good reason. I mean, they were they were polluting pretty egregiously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe we can figure out some safer ways to do that if we decide that we need a domestic supply. Maybe not just for solar, but for other clean, green, renewable energy sources. Um, you know, right now, natural gas seems to be really hogging the energy headlines, so to speak. And energy companies from coal to oil and gas are spending a lot of money advertising, at least on cable news channels. It doesn't matter which one you choose. And maybe on regular TV, I don't watch that as much to know. But I can tell you on all the cable news channels, you see these kinds of energy companies with all kinds of commercials. I have a two-part question. How large a role do you see solar energy playing in our energy future? And do you think that the industry needs to compete with big oil, coal, and gas in the PR arena? Well, we definitely need to, to do a better job of competing, um, but we don't have the war chest. Uh, we don't have anything close <laughs> yeah. to the war chest that the, that the fossil fuel industry has. And, and I think, don't think people realize that fossil fuels have been subsidized uh, for over 100 years. And in fact, to a greater extent than the – if you look at the, the early startup years for, for coal and oil especially, um, the subsidies that those uh, technologies received from the federal government were much greater percentage-wise than what we're getting today in mm-hmm. solar and in other renewables. So it's not like this is something special we're getting. This is something the government does and has done and has worked very well to help industries get going. So I think it's, it's money well spent. It's producing jobs. Um, it, it's doing it's doing what it's designed to do. And eventually, um, it should it should eventually end. But guess what? Uh, subsidies for coal, oil, nuclear, those haven't ended. Yeah. Even those those are great point. Very mature industries. They're still getting more in subsidies than renewables. Uh, you know that that makes no sense to me whatsoever. <clears throat> that the oil industry, which is the wealthiest industry on the planet in the history of the planet Earth, is still getting subsidies. Fair point, you know, and I've actually never heard anyone put it quite that way. In October 8th of this year, the Wall Street Journal ran a piece that was entitled, Do We Need Subsidies for Solar and Wind Power? And a research fellow in energy economics and climate change at the Heritage Foundation, which we know is sort of a right-leaning think tank, argued against subsidies, and he said, thanks to technological advances in recent years, the world has centuries of untapped natural gas and coal at its disposal, much of it relatively cheap and right here in the U.S. It's simple. We don't need wind and solar to keep the lights on. What do you say to that, Gary? Oh, I agree. We don't need wind and oil to keep the lights on. We do need it to keep from cooking the planet. (laughs) Good point. So, yeah, it's, it's, again, I go back to the dead-end technologies. And by the way, when I got started, <clears throat> excuse me, in solar, we really weren't looking that much at climate change. Maybe mm-hmm. Al Gore was, but but I I wasn't that aware of it at the time. Uh, it's become a predominant issue since then. And as far as I'm concerned, those that that those hydrocarbons that are now locked in the um, in the Earth's crust 
uh, they were extracted billions of years ago from the, from the um, from the Earth's atmosphere, and the Earth was an unlivable planet then, except for the small uh, algae and such that extracted that. They they locked it into the Earth's crust, <clears throat> made the made the atmosphere breathable on the planet. If we pull that back out and put it back in the atmosphere, we're we're just going to reverse what made it possible for us to live on this planet. So. Bottom line is we have to stop taking fossil fuels out of the ground, uh, even if it's cheap, even if it's easy. Um, I don't think that natural gas is actually as cheap as, as it's, they're saying. By the way, natural gas prices have recently started going right back up again in California. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was a very temporary drop, and it's a very volatile uh, fuel anyway in terms of cost. So um, we're, <clears throat> we can't continue. <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> to to extract it and and have a livable planet so why do we keep going down that path well um, you know. It's true, and I think that you know, if the one of the things that that you mentioned earlier is that you know even if we've got a three hundred year supply, um, I think that's hokey math because as the Earth's population increases, as certain countries with large populations their economies grow, the demand for energy is growing exponentially, and it's a little bit disingenuous to say we've got hundreds of years of cheap fossil fuel energy. I don't think that's necessarily if that's even on today. Days consumption rates, or some conservatively projected, con, you know, consumption rate. Uh, it, it's unlikely that, that that's the truth. You know, that well, we have and, hundreds and hundreds of years, and we're going to so, flood the the you know the, the the coastlines of every country on on the planet if we go that far, mm-hmm. right? If we keep that, extracting the fossil that's, fuels, what's going to happen to the to the population? What's going to happen to the quality of life? That, that to me, our, is the key issue. Yeah, our, our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren um, are not going to be thrilled with the choices that we made <clears> if we continue to do that, knowing that the technology existed to stop doing that. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about the role that solar energy played in Hurricane Sandy and some of the things that maybe solar can do to help mitigate or maybe even eliminate the possibility of massive power outages like that in the future. Don't go away. More Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. 
Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. We're talking about a really, really important topic, and that is the future of solar energy. It's one of the most... Um, uh, hotly debated topics when it comes to public investment. Um, we see lots and lots of um, dissenting opinions, supportive opinions about whether or not public dollars should be spent to support and to subsidize the solar um, industry. And I think that um, what we're talking about today will help all of us understand a little bit more about the role that public dollars and private dollars can pay, play in um, the solar industry and the future of it. And I, you know, I'm so excited that we have Gary Gerber on because he's got such a unique perspective. Gary is the president and CEO of Sunlight and Power, which has been around since 1976. Um, so he he's he owns his own solar company, but even more so, he's involved with a lot of public policy situations and discussions um, as the past president of the California Solar Energy Industry Association. So um, he's got not just the boots on the ground running a business perspective, but also a, a policy perspective as well. We're glad to have him on. You know, Gary, in the aftermath of the recent Hurricane Sandy that was on the East Coast, I read about, you know, speaking of good PR for the solar industry. I read about mobile solar trucks providing some energy for neighborhoods that were without power for a long time. What are your thoughts about the role that solar could play on a larger scale to prevent massive power outages like the one that they experienced on the East Coast? Well, I have personal experience on that. As a matter of fact, I live in Occidental California, which is in the Redwoods in Northern California. And in the storm about a week and a half ago, uh, power was out here for uh, about three days. And um, we happen to have a battery-backed up uh, uh, solar system, and we had all the power we needed, basically, except except to, to charge my electric car because that's a little bit much. <laughs> but um, uh, that's all been possible for many years. That's uh, It's all totally feasible to, to have uh, local uh, distributed generation, and I think that's really what it's about. The, the mobile power trucks are going to be, frankly, pretty small. You know, the amount of energy that they're going to be able to generate is going to be probably a lot less than what you would typically put on a rooftop of a home. So I think the real hope and the and the, and the promise is in people doing their own systems on their own homes. And ultimately, mm-hmm. I think, to have the battery backup so that the systems can operate uh, when the grid is down, because mm-hmm. most of the systems out there right now will not generate power when the grid is down. They're, they're tied directly to the grid, and if there are no batteries hooked up to them, they will simply shut down along with the grid. Well, and that raises an interesting question. I mean, is that possible for people to do that? I mean, or are the utilities blocking that? I mean, is it possible to just sort of be able to go off the grid if you have solar in your own on your own property? How, how does that work? Yeah, that's exactly what, what in fact, when I really started getting doing more solar electric was around the turn of the century, about 2000 or so. And I would say 80 to 90 percent of our projects had batteries. Um, it, it was a technological issue. They, they didn't really even have inverters that didn't work with batteries at that point. All the, most of the solar at that point had already been as off-grid, standalone solar systems. So that's very well understood, and I think it's, it's turned the other direction where the grid tie came in and we, we didn't need the batteries, and so people weren't spending money on the batteries. Uh, I think it's going to come back. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very actively looking at that because the, as the uh, penetration of solar increases, and it needs to increase and it will increase, I mean, California, for example, has a um, 30 or 33 to 40% probably um, renewables uh, portfolio standard that, uh, that's planned for in the next 10 to 15 years. So we're going to have a lot more solar and I think the utilities are going to welcome the batteries. They should, mm-hmm. because the batteries are going to help stabilize the grid. They'll be available to, to for for customers to actually feed back into the grid um, when at times when say there's a threat of a brownout or a blackout. If you had thousands and thousands of systems with their own batteries and some excess power, they would actually be able to help stabilize the grid by feeding it back in when the, when the, with the smart meters we have. We could turn those on and off at will uh, and uh, really make it much more of a cohesive um, uh, statewide uh, storage system. 
Well, let me ask you this. What if you have folks who say, you know what, if there's a blackout, if the grid goes down, I want my own energy. And I don't want a, my battery storage and my you know, residential solar unit to feed back into the grid. Right now in California, is it possible to do that? No, Can it's really not. And, and, and this would always be elective. This would be something you would sign on to. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, uh, really what would happen, I, I would envision, is the utility, we, we have the ISO, the independent system operator in California, that, that watches the grid like a hawk. Mm-hmm. And what they would do is they would predict when a, a potential might be coming up and start activating the, the storage. They're already doing this um, with customers who agree, uh, and they get paid to do this, businesses, for example, to shut down equipment when, mm-hmm. when the grid is getting overloaded. So what they're really doing is preventing that outage. Mm-hmm. So, so by having your batteries and, and making them available, you, you, you're not going to be without power because what you're going to do is you're going to help prevent that power failure, and everyone will have power then. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. We talk about battery storage, and we've actually talked about that on Go Green Radio several times. And what some of the people in that particular industry are complaining about is that there is not even close to the amount of subsidies and, and investment in battery storage technology, utility-scale battery storage, to make exactly what you're talking about work. Is that your understanding as well? Well, so, for example, I just met with some folks the, yesterday that are, are offering a battery storage package that will be used to cut peak demand. So you can put it in a, at a uh, facility, and there are subsidies for that. And it also saves the utilities because it saves the utilities money and, and the customers saves money because their demand charges, which is based on their peak usage, mm-hmm. not their total usage, but what's the most amount of power, uh, power they're drawing in a given instant, um, that can be knocked down by, by feeding battery power in at the right time. And the utilities are, are cooperating with that. They're offering, offering special rates. They're, they are working with industries and with, with businesses, and ultimately they're not really yet, as far as I know, working with homeowners on that. But I think that's really the next step. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I agree that batteries are, are underdeveloped, but um, what I see as the big change that's happening in that that's going to really improve it is all is the, is the birth of the electric car. Mm. And I think that once you start to see uh, the automobile industry and uh, associated industries growing up at, with around battery storage for uh, electric vehicles, that's going to spur a huge amount of R&D. It's going to reduce costs. Uh, it's going to reduce weight. It's going to increase charge rates. Uh, all of that's going to start happening, I think, much more rapidly now that um, – We've got the, the Leaf and the Volt and the RAV4 mm-hmm. EV, uh, all these electric cars, the Tesla. Uh, I think those are all going to be helping a lot to help grow the battery uh, technologies. Here's a question for you. This is something that, as a Californian myself, I didn't realize that there was anything outside of our own experience on this. But um, recently I have given speeches in Tennessee and New York, and and some of the public policy they're really proud of is that they allow, whether it's residential or commercial customers, to install as much solar on their roofs as they possibly can afford, and if they create more energy than they can use, they're allowed to sell that excess energy um, and actually they've created a financial incentive for people to generate more energy than they can use if they can afford to install that much solar. In California, we can't do that. Why is that? Uh, because it makes too much sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Are you listening, CPUC? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I could go on and on about CPUC. Um, I really do think the CPUC is far too strongly influenced by the utilities, frankly. Um, it, 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 the, the, there are a lot of groups, Clean Coalition, Sierra Club, Calcia, we're, we're working as hard as we can. Um, but, my gosh, we just don't have the bandwidth or the or – the, I mean, we're a volunteer organization at Calcia, um, the, the people that work for the board. Uh, the stuff I do with the CPUC, I do in my own spare time, mm-hmm. um, whereas the utilities have – 
huge amounts of paid staff with lawyers and such to 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 promote their side of things. So uh, it's a really tough battle. This is why I really think that, uh, in fact, the the solution to that is in terms of public policies, we've got to have the legislature actively involved and giving strong direction to CPC because the legislature is going to have the big picture, much more so. The PUC is just about the utility energy, about the rate payers. It's not about – think about this. Every rate payer is also a citizen of the mm-hmm. state, and right. yet they're treated as though a rate payer is just somebody who spends money on energy. But they're also breathing the, the polluted air. Every rate payer is also – uh, subject to the problems of asthma for the kids or pollution of the of the soil, but mm-hmm. the CPC doesn't consider any of that. They're just looking at the cost of energy. So it's well, very you know one-sided. It, it's the way it should be for for a utility uh, uh, agency. I mean, uh, they, they don't have a social agenda necessarily, but the legislature does, and and they have to protect the 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 citizens of the state. So we need strong guidance from the legislature to tell the CPC, okay, here are the rules we want you to make, and here's how we want you to make them. Well, I'll tell you what, Gary, we've got to to take a quick commercial break, but here's my pledge to you. Let me help. This is an issue close to my heart. (laughs) Engage me. I will help on this because I'll tell you what, um, I have good friends in the utilities and great friends in the CPUC arena, and this is something that makes a lot of sense. We need more private investment in putting as much solar as we can possibly put up, and if we can provide a little bit of a financial incentive for folks to do that and to put as much up as they can afford, that is only a good thing. So uh, give me a call. We'll, so we'll we work on back, this. Ask me about the feed-in tariff. All right. Well, we've got to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, more with Gary Gerber and the future of solar power. Don't go away. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you were with us with the last segment, you know we were just about ready to storm the castle here on Go Green Radio. We're talking some really important public policy issues that could impact the future of solar. Obviously, if solar is going to have a future, we need to get it up. We need to get more installed. And part of what could help impact that is allowing people some kind of a financial incentive to install as much solar as they can afford. And if they generate more energy than they can use, to sell it back. Makes a lot of sense. And that's happening in some states, not happening in California. And Gary's going to talk to us about feed-in tariffs and, and some of the public policy issues that are needed in order to create that opportunity in California. So go, Gary. Yeah, I just wanted to mention, so tying into what we were talking about before we left for commercial, is um, Calcia uh, did sponsor a feed-in tariff bill. Um, and what you described about um, people being able, in other states, being able to put as much solar on their roof and getting paid 
regardless of whether they're consuming uh, more or less than that. Um, two things. One, we actually have that provision in California now. Uh, uh, Huffington uh, uh, put out a bill, I think it was from AB 920, a couple of years ago, and so now the utilities do have to pay uh, for excess power produced on a, on a, on a home. Um, on a but, home only, yeah. or can that be commercial? Well, both, actually. Both, yeah, okay. Yeah. Any, anyone connected up to the grid, interconnected, if they produce more than they consume on site, they are, are paid, but they're paid at basically uh, essentially at $0.04 cents a kilowatt hour. So it, it, it's really not meaningful. I mean, when, mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're paying 14 to 16 to 18 cents a kilowatt hour to get $0.04 cents back doesn't incentivize people to put in more solar. Right. So that's not working. Um, again, that was one of those things that it looked good on paper at the assembly, but then when it came down to the CPUC setting the actual rate, they set the rate at a ridiculously low number, so it's meaningless. Yeah. Um, this is the same thing that's happened to us with the feed-in tariff uh, that, that CalSEA sponsored to, to create a, a tariff. Uh, basically, uh, you would put a solar power plant on your roof, and it, 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 in fact, you don't have anything. it doesn't have anything really to do with the power you're consuming on your property. You just feed it back onto the grid, and you're paid for the power that it produces. So it's just like a small private business on your roof having solar uh, power production. This mm-hmm. is how Germany has outstripped the entire planet in terms of the consumption or the uh, or the installation of solar systems um, they're they're that's the that's the way they did it they used to feed in tariff mm-hmm. and that's what you're seeing <clears throat> cropping up everywhere we were hoping to see california leading on that and again we we sponsored that bill um, unfortunately when it got to cpc it basically in my view it was basically decimated it it is virtually worthless as far as i can tell as mm-hmm. far as um, the rules that were set up around it to incentivize anything other than multi-megawatt, very large-scale projects. Mm-hmm. So the individual uh, homeowner or apartment owner, even or small business, th- th- it's not going to work for, mm-hmm. for any of those folks just because of the way the rules were set up. Mm-hmm. So, again, I think that's where we need the legislature to step in and say, okay, Here's what we really want to have happen. We really want to incentivize people to put as much solar up on their rooftops. Let's get distributed generation, uh, which has huge value, as we've talked about, to have that mm-hmm. power distributed all around instead of out. We haven't talked much about that, but the central station power plants, um, you know, they're just as, as vulnerable as any other power plant to terrorist acts. If, if someone cuts those wires, uh, you can blank out a whole city. Yep. Um, if you have distributed generation on every roof, you can't do that. Well, there's an incredible duh factor to all of this. I mean, if if people don't want government subsidy to an industry or they want less, I mean, there are plenty of people, you know, who who kind of bulk at that. Well, then guess what? Do the opposite. Provide some kind of fair, equitable um incentive for people to privately invest in the technology there what could possibly be wrong with that i yeah. just for the life of me can't figure that out <laughs> well so, in, in germany for example uh the total impact for every rate payer was a fraction of a penny uh kilowatt hour or something like that you know under a dollar a month when they first started their program and they spread the cost among all the rate payers and those people that put in solar got the advantage of that but anyone could do it so you could choose, and and you were paying a very small amount uh, on your bill to subsidize that uh, to clean up the planet and make the make the country a, a better country overall. So people in Germany have been quite willing to do that. We are we are operating under rules here that basically say no, we're not going to allow any impact on any other ratepayers. Is essentially the the way it's being approached right now. So effectively, if if you can't spread that that small cost among the entire ratepayer pool, uh, the program really doesn't work. And that's, that's pretty much where we're at right now. Well, that you know what, Gary? Here's the deal, as far as I can see it. This is what happens when you lack some sort of overarching energy vision for the supply, for the security, the energy of whether it's a state or the country. This is what you end up with. And I think that if we had an overarching vision 
you know, I think Governor Schwarzenegger tried to lay that out, but you know, we, we're trying to do this piecemeal, industry by industry, fuel source by fuel source. And instead of saying, we want as much solar as we can possibly, you know, get in this state because the sun's not going away. It's domestic energy. We're a sunny state and it's, you know, it's secure. You know, this is, this is the kind of public policy you end up with when you don't have that kind of a, a template to work from, a vision template to work from. And that's a shame. Yep. I agree. You know, well, we have a, a Democratic supermajority now at the state. So there's a, I, I'm really hoping that there's a chance we can actually get something meaningful through this, the uh, legislature this year. You know what, Gary? I would love to agree with you on that, except that just one thing. Democratic senators in the state of California and assembly members also take campaign contributions from people yep. who might oppose this. I've kind of lost faith in, oh, we elect liberals, and so then we're all green. I'm not sure that that's really the way that it's going to play out in reality. I think that we need visionary people in the Republican Party, in the Democratic Party, in whatever party you want to affiliate with, people who are interested in what's best for the state, what's best for the country, and we'll put that first. And if it happens that they agree with somebody in another party on what that energy future should look like, great. That should be celebrated and not something that's used as a weapon against them politically. Um, you know, I, I, I wonder, you know, if, if American solar companies are going to succeed, we need to sell solar in America. Do you foresee a time when that's going to be a standard feature in homes? And do you think there's any chance that that could be market driven? Like, you know, people wanted central air and indoor plumbing. And so the builders had to do it. Do you foresee a time when solar energy is part of that? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's coming. Absolutely coming. Um, right now, today, if you have long-term financing for a solar system for your home, uh, that financing being, say, 15 or 20-year financing, um, today it is more it is it's going to cost you less overall, uh, less per month, to go ahead and install that system, put it on your mortgage, or put it on that long-term financing, and avoid paying the electric bill. Um, the, the the additional mortgage cost will be less than the than the cost of the uh, energy you save. So we're already there. Now that's with a very small rebate subsidy that the state has. The rebates are virtually down to almost nothing at this point, so, so you can almost discount the state rebates. There's a 30% federal tax credit. That federal tax credit will, will bump back to 10% at the end of 2016. It's quite possible that we won't need it to stay at 30%, uh, but we might, we might need it a few more years after that, depending on how energy, co- how energy costs continue to go up and how solar costs continue to go down. But we're, we're, we're pretty much almost there. So well, that's is- great news, and I'm excited to hear that. And I hope that uh, we can have you back on another time, Gary, to talk through some more solar issues. I'm excited about the future of solar power. I hope everybody else is. And uh, uh, I, I would like to, to get everybody involved in some of these public poli- policy issues that um, really could have a tremendous impact on the future, not just of solar energy, but on the future of our state and our country. So thanks for joining us, Gary. Thanks to our listeners for joining us. We're going to be back here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Till then, have a great week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.